0: From the Tree Line studios of PBS 39 at the PPL Public Media Center in the Christmas City of Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another leafy hour of chemical free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Do you have the tree stump lose? Are you planning on a tree taking down? On today's show, we'll outline your surprising options on putting that stump to work for you. Plus, Joe Bear of the Bartlett Tree Company joins me to yell at you for volcano mulching your poor trees to death. Reveal what such nonsense is going to cost you in the long run and explain the presumably lost art of proper mulching. And, of course, your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and gregariously gratuitous gentrifications. So put down that big bag of pumpkin, orange, mulch, cats and kittens, because it all starts right here, right now. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from PBS39 in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we got a double-barreled tree show for you today, cats and kittens, in the question of the week, we're going to talk about creative things to do with a tree stump that, believe it or not, will get rid of your insect pests and make more compost for you. We're also going to talk to Joe Baer from the Bartlett Tree Company about why people are killing their trees with volcano mulching and what you should be doing instead. That's a lot to get done, so let's hop right to your fascinating phone calls at 833 727 9588. Karen, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Karen. How are you?
1: I'm well. How about yourself?
0: I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. And where is Karen well?
1: Uh in Allentown, Pennsylvania.
0: Oh, very good. Uh, what area? you know, this is like I have to do this like with I used to with Philly now. What neighborhood? What area? Uh
1: we're actually South Whitehall Township.
0: Okay. Al- but it's
1: considered an Allentown address.
0: Okay. All right. Well what can we do for you?
1: I was given two orchids and I've never had one, so I have not a clue what to do with them.
0: And um When were you gifted these orchids? I presume they were in full flower then.
1: Uh, No, actually the person um, is a snowbird. So she left for Florida and said, oh, by the way, there's two orchids on my table. You may have them.
0: Yeah, with no flowers. Yeah. That's, come on, that's like somebody bringing boiled chicken to a potluck dinner. That's just, that's just wrong.
1: Yep, yep. So um, one of them still has green stalks on it and they're like clipped to... Poles with little hair clips.
0: That's typical. Yeah.
1: Okay. The other one had totally brown stalks, and someone told me to cut them off.
0: Okay. Uh, I not, did that. That's not all the worst. I know now. Not I the, did
1: water them. Um, they're in. They're in like a plastic container inside a pot with no drainage.
0: Okay. Um, and yet, they're How long have you? Uh, how long have you been killing these orchids?
1: I just got them. I just got them on. I believe it was Monday. Okay. Good.
0: Good. So, get them out. Get them okay. out. Okay. Yeah, you, you grab that kid at the bottom of the pool and bring him up. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to presume you have Phalaenopsis, which... Uh, yeah, it,
1: uh, there's a little sticker on one of the pots that said P-H-A-N yeah. or something. Yeah,
0: Phalaenopsis. Okay. That's the most common orchid you see for sale. It's okay. called It's called the moth orchid. Okay. Because when it is in bloom... Um, the flowers appear sequentially on an arching stalk and they look like butterflies in okay. flight. But the person who gave it the common name thought that those flowers looked like a tropical moth. So in, instead of the butterfly orchid, we call it the moth orchid, which sounds okay. like it should be eating your clothes after it's done flowering. So almost all of the orchids in the world are what we call epiphytes. Okay. These are plants whose roots are not in soil. In the rainforest, in tropical areas, uh, Phalaenopsis is native to the tropical areas of Asia. These plants just hang on to trees. You probably have white, ghost-like roots coming out the bottom.
1: They're, they're actually coming, some are coming out the top and they're like a light green. Okay. Um, But the other plant, they're all wrapped around the
0: bottom. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. In just imagine in nature, those roots are wrapped around a tree limb or something like that. Okay. So they're never covered with soil. The only food and water they get is, like, when it rains, they get watered a lot, but they don't sit in water. And for food, I mean, they just hope a monkey poops above them every once in a while, you know. (laughs) So, do you have a bag of monkey poop around? To, no. Not really. No, no, no.
1: No.
0: Uh, every household should have one.
1: I do have a Great Dane, though.
0: <laughs> oh no, 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 no! We're not going there. Um, so anyway, uh, phalaenopsis. The best way to care for them is take them out of that decorative container. The okay. plastic pot should have good drainage holes in the bottom. Okay. More orchids are killed by overwatering than underwatering. Okay. You can always water an orchid that got a little dry, but you can't bring one back from the dead that you drowned. Okay. So the less water, the better. Um, again, take it out so it's not sitting in that pot. Now, if you like the look, of, and really it shouldn't be in that pot because those roots want to breathe.
1: Right.
0: So do you have any green leaves on these plants?
1: Oh, the leaves are beautiful. Um, so, most of the leaves are about maybe eight inches
0: Long. Excellent. And they're nice and shiny and green. Yep.
1: One looks like it, it split a little bit.
0: That's very common with these plants okay. when the leaves get really big. That's not but a the problem. The other
1: ones are the other ones are nice and green. Fresh excellent
0: looking. Excellent. The more and what are the pots filled with? Uh, it, it looks should,
1: like little tiny pieces of bark.
0: Excellent, excellent. You want to check every once in a while to make sure that bark is not decomposing and put fresh bark in, because you really don't want these roots to be in anything that resembles soil. Okay. So once a week, what I want you to do is take the plant, pot and all, put a couple inches of water in a sink, sit the pot in the, in the water for about an hour, and take it out, put it in the drain board and then the dish drain thing, and then put it back into place. Okay. Um, if you have green leaves, you are going to get new shoots coming up, and then those shoots will develop nodes, and from those nodes will come a secondary shoot that will carry the flowers. Okay. You gotta be patient. Sometimes it can take six months for this to happen. Okay. But they never go dormant. They're not gonna go dormant in the winter, and you don't want to expose them to direct sunlight.
1: All right, I have, I have, um, I have them in a room where I have uh, like eight Christmas cactuses, and they're all, they love it there.
0: Okay, that's very good. Okay. Um, Make sure the room stays warm, but not hot. These, mm-hmm. uh, these are tropical plants. They don't like to drop below 60 to 63 degrees at night.
1: Uh, the lowest it would be would be like 65 here.
0: Okay, that's perfect. And then around 75 to 80 would be the top limit. So okay. as long as you keep it in there, in okay. indirect light, water once a week by sitting the thing in in a thing of water, and then go out and see if you can find, I'm serious now, a bag of worm castings or if you have a friend who makes compost. Okay. Uh, put some of that in a sock and fill the, uh, put it in a jar of clean water, not, not city tap water. Use spring water or like the water you use for an iron, okay. steam iron, because the the chemicals in city water can really be dangerous for these plants. Yeah. <laughs> so um uh, put this uh, material in a sock, let it steep, and then once a month, substitute this compost tea or worm-casting tea for the regular water. That, okay. sh- that should be all the food they need. And since it's dilute, you can even do it every two weeks. Okay. But don't use any chemical fertilizers, no matter what people tell you. Make sure, um, after a couple months, you should probably empty out that container and put in fresh bark. You can buy it in little bags. At a garden center, uh, okay. orchid bark. Um, and keep it away from direct sunlight. And it sounds like they're, uh, they're healthy plants and spikes should appear. Just be patient.
1: Okay, the, uh, the only other question I have is the one that has the green stalks, at the very end, it, it, it looks like it's get, the one is getting brown. It's all okay. dried out.
0: Can you go down the stalk? Do you see any nodes, any like bulges on the stalk?
1: all the way down there, I, but are the, I don't
0: know what they are. Well, little bulges on the, on the stalk itself. Um, uh, if, they're, if you can find a little bulge, cut the, the browning stalk off right above that bulge. Okay. If, if you can't just cut it back by a couple of inches and if it okay. keeps browning, keep cutting it back. But new ones will appear as long as those leaves are green and the plant is healthy. Okay. All right, good luck. Thank you. My pleasure, bye-bye. Bye. is our phone number. Lynn, welcome to You Bet Your Garden.
2: Hi, good morning.
0: Hi, Lynn. How are you doing?
2: Oh, just fine.
0: And where is Lynn just fine?
2: In Broomall, Pennsylvania.
0: Just outside of Philadelphia? Yes. All right. What can we do you for, Lynn? All
2: right. Well, I've had a very curious observation in the last six weeks. Um, The first one was in my back deck, and I have a... Uh, evergreen tree that kind of hangs over it, mm-hmm. and I started to notice like three or four inch pieces of the evergreen branches all over the deck. And I thought, oh, it's just been windy. Um, this is you know something that's never I've never noticed before. Uh-huh. And as the days went on, and after my um, lawn guys came and blew the deck and cleaned everything up, it happened again. And I began to realize the weather had not anything to do with it. And I saw a squirrel finally, mm-hmm. and he would sit on the branches and chunk a piece off. Didn't seem to be eating it, and it would drop on the ground. And this went on—not every day, but it went on for a couple of weeks. Okay, fast forward to, let's say, about ten days ago. I'm at work and I'm walking up the street, and there are. All of these deers on, on the front lawn of this property and they're eating what appears to be and what turned out to be three or four inch long pieces of a of a leaf tree. And I don't know what it is. That's OK. I, it's they're not were eating it's not a maple. Anyway, right.
0: They're eating the bark off the tree.
2: No, they're eating the again. A whole, it was three separate trees. Um, there must have been six or seven squirrels in it. And they were chunking off pieces, yeah three, four, five inches long, and they
0: okay, cause you said you said deer before, but we're only talking about, the deer, I'm
2: sorry, I'm sorry, the deer were on the ground. and as and
0: the, the squirrels, squirrels were feeding were them.
2: in the trees, dropping down so the, the squirrels, in this case, are providing some you know treats for the deer. Yes. which is fine and dandy. I and
0: think. and they're building but, their nests at the same time. Um, yeah, right. If they start dressing up in costumes with capes, I think you should call <laughs> the police. Yeah. And
2: going door to door. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> so that's what's well, going I, on, Lynn. There's uh, there's fine, really no well, way I to stop it. but
2: your your knowledge, and, and now I can calm down. Yes, and, exactly. And we'll see what the winter's like, too.
0: But so. be careful. Because of the weird situation that's happening here, where the deer have access to this overflow, um, you yeah. want to make you you really want to clean that up quick you don't want deer to get comfortable coming near your house and if you do walk through that area a lot you want to make sure you do a good tick check when you come inside all, all
2: right. right well thank you so much my and pleasure thank lynn you, thank you your knowledge
0: for reporting okay. on take evil care. squirrels part two all right lynn take Thanks care a lot bye-bye, bye-bye. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we somehow put together a, a special tree show this week. The question of the week is going to be about dealing with a tree stump, and we'll also take more of your fabulous calls at 833-727-9588. They doesn't have to be about trees. They can be about anything. But now it is time to welcome our special guest from the Bartlett Expert Tree Company, Joe Bear. Joe, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. Now, um, Bartlett Expert Tree Company, I guess that kind of implies that it's not a crappy tree company, you know. Um, how big, you, I'm used to uh, Bartlett being in the Philadelphia area, being a major player. How big a company is it? How how far of a range do you guys
3: cover? Bartlett has offices all across the United States, as well as England, Ireland, and Spain. Really?
0: you You have European offices, so... Are, uh, do you know anything about those? Or, are, the, are the details different? Do people need different tree care in Spain than they do in, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey? Yeah.
3: Uh, the species of tree are different, but the care that they require is pretty similar.
0: Well, one good because uh, we want to talk about the care of trees and what is wrong with people today? Um, the majority of trees that I see, the vast majority, are planted poorly and mulched improperly. How, do you have any idea how this
3: ridiculous trend started and why people don't stop it? I believe it's just a lack of education as to the way a tree responds to being covered in soil and mulch at the root flare area.
0: Um, all I can think of is that they got a lot of mulch to get rid of, and so they attack poor defenseless trees. So let's make it clear. There is never a reason to
3: volcano mulch a tree. No, I believe that's an aesthetic issue. I think some people have seen that done before, and they like the way it looks, so they pile their mulch up as high as they can around the base of the tree.
0: Monkey see, monkey do, but what does that do to the poor tree?
3: Well, it reduces the health and the vigor of the tree. There's actually a lot of gas exchange that goes on in between the phloem cells and the bark in that area, uh, exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide, And when you pile that mulch and soil up around the base of the tree, it kind of restricts that gas flow and that exchange in that area.
0: Now, Bartlett does uh, a symposium every year in conjunction with the Philadelphia Flower Show, a day-long kind of training educational session that I uh, was privileged to speak at a couple years ago. And one of the things they stressed, because when I talk about don't volcano mulch your trees, I'm Mr. Simplistic. I'm going, you're keeping that bark wet down at the bottom. It's going to rot away the bark. As you know, once that bark is rotted away in a complete
3: circle, the tree is in a death spiral, right? It is. It really reduces the vigor and the health of the tree, and that leaves it susceptible to other pathogens that come in and attack the tree.
0: Right. Insects rot, and what a great home for voles, right? To, to That you build a little condo for them around the base of the tree so they can have their endless babies and eat the bark of your tree.
3: That's right, they'll uh, eat the bark and girdle the tree.
0: One of the things at the symposium that I was really impressed by and tried to try to really remember, uh, because it's not something even educated gardeners think about, is the importance of air at the root system. It's so counterintuitive. Um, but it shouldn't be for somebody like me, because I'm telling people to build raised beds with lots of perlite, to have, great, to have great drainage. But even when I was making those recommendations, I really wasn't thinking of gases, of air, down at the root zone. The roots of all plants need
3: to breathe. They do. A properly aerated soil has about 50% soil uh, particulate matter, 25% air, and 25% water.
0: air. That's astounding. You know, it almost doesn't seem possible.
3: No, I guess it doesn't, but uh, that allows the roots to exchange the gas um, in between the tissues and in through the air.
0: So, um, again, one of the things I saw at the symposium, and I saw it there for the first time, um, you know, it's the jaws of life for trees, right? I mean, it's like you guys are running to a car accident um, when you pull out, is it called the air spade? Yes. Yeah. It's a high pressure air tool. So, come on. You got to describe it, uh, for the people here. I mean, it's, I, I have not seen it in the field. I saw a video of it. And I mean, th- this is like as appealing a tool to a man as a
3: chainsaw. <laughs>
0: is it right? Isn't it? It's it like
3: is. the death blaster of air. It's a powerful tool. It's, uh, It's a long tool, about four feet long, it has a proprietary nozzle at the end which directs the air from an air compressor into the zone where you point it and we can use this to move soil and mulch away from the base of the tree and the root system without damaging the bark or the root tissue.
0: So it is not enough generally to simply hoe away the mulch from the base of the tree the soil has become heavily compacted i imagine and and i guess you're almost giving like the breath of life to the tree because it hasn't had any air down there you know you're kind of hooking it up to an oxygen tank
3: yeah and this tool really increases the volume of the soil the way it introduces this air space and this pore space into the soil
0: so why since people don't know that volcano mulching is wrong no matter how much we tell them And I I hate to see it in public places. You see it on college campuses. You see it on hospital campuses. And these places should be educational. They should not be showing people the wrong way to do things. I think when I retire from the show, I've threatened this many times before. I just want to drive around with a hoe and rescue these poor trees. Uh, What do you, how do you feel when you go to a doctor's office for an appointment, or go to the gym, or, or uh, step on a college campus, and you see these things that have mulch with t- sometimes dyed some god-awful color um, a foot high up on the, on the bark. Don't you want to start clawing away at it? I
3: do, and I think the color has a lot to do with it. Every season, they want to get this fresh, bright-colored mulch on this tree ring, and there may be excess mulch left there from the year before. And rather than clear away the stuff from the year before, they just add some freshly colored mulch to the top, which over time increases the amount of mulch around the base of the tree.
0: And the more the mulch is died, the more suspicious it is. Yes. You know, we just had how many devastating hurricanes strike um, in a row? Large areas of Florida, Texas, you know, entire towns were flattened people don't realize that that construction debris and pressure-treated wood from seawalls and stuff, that's going to show up in the mulch that's dyed the color of a Burger King at their big box store. It is.
3: You can find all kinds of things in mulch.
0: So I want to talk about proper mulching. But first, uh, explain to me, because obviously the air spade is a major tool for you guys, Um Is this just when you maybe get hired to take care of a large property or something and you see the improper mulching, you dive in to save the tree? Or do people ever realize, I'm killing my tree. Can you
3: guys come out and save it? It goes both ways. Uh, But we use this air spade for many different aspects of tree care. Um, Anytime you need to improve soil drainage or soil structure, we use this air spade to loosen the compaction, to increase the pore space. And then we add different composts, uh, amendments, biochar, um, fertilizers. And we can use the air spade to till this into the, sto- into the soil and work it into the entire volume, which is usually about six to eight inches deep.
0: So in how, how recent is the air spade as an invention? I mean, this was not around when I was the editor of Organic Gardening in the 90s. Well, I've been using it for at least 12, 12 years. Mm-hmm. Because before that... Um, what was people were just drilling holes in the soil hoping not to hit too many roots to aerate the soil
3: we're using uh, a tilling machine and at that time they're tearing up all the fine feeding roots yeah so this is a huge uh, move forward in tree care it is because not only can you use it to adjust the soil compaction but you can use it to dig trenches to install utilities and this way you can <laughs> this is, not spare you
0: know, this is this is a heavy I want one. I really
3: want one. It, you could dig a trench with this thing? Yes, and it leaves all the roots intact and then you can run your piping or your electrical conduit underneath and in between the roots without having to cut a single root.
0: So let's say the neighbor is out using their leaf blower at six AM on a Sunday morning and I just happened to come out accidentally with an air spade and I wasn't paying attention where it was pointed. Would I blow them into Oz? What would happen? It's possible. It's a powerful tool, and it's very loud. Ah, well, I, you know, I got these on already. I mean, that's not a problem for me. You know? <laughs> so again, um, let's say, because you guys do big landscapes, right? You we do, do public places and things like that. So when you first get hired, do you measure the density of the soil around the base of the trees?
3: We can. Yeah, that's definitely a service that we provide.
0: Uh, But, I mean, otherwise, how do you know what to do other than if you see a tree that is volcano mulched, um, obviously the first thing you're going to do is physically remove as much of the mulch as you can. But then uh, will you just automatically use the air spade or, or, you know, what's your criteria?
3: Depending on the issue that is showing up in the plant or the landscape, we always do a soil test, send it off to the lab and get the results back.
0: And that soil test will tell you something about the structure of the soil and the level of compaction and what the soil is made of. Yes. So then you go in and blast the rats, huh? That's right. So let's talk then about proper tree planting. And you and I may disagree a little bit on, on some aspects of this. And that's fine, because this is an art, really, not... Although for you guys, it's more of a science. For me, it's more of an art, which means, is this picture upside down or what, you know? So... I will say what I tell people to do, at least what I've been taught over the years, is you get a tree, you, if it's in a pot, it's probably planted too deep already, just get rid of all that dirt. Um, if it's bagged in burlap, for God's sake, take off the burlap and throw away the wire cage. Use the burlap to make yourself a Halloween costume or something. It does not belong in the planting hole. And plant the tree so that the root flare is above ground and m back me up on this a tree with exposed roots is going to be the last tree to fall in a storm a tree that looks like a popsicle is going to be the first tree to fall in a storm generally that would be correct yes because people don't realize well again you as you and
3: i have been stressing those roots need air and there's lots of air up here And another problem that arises from burying the root collar, the tree will produce adventitious roots above that root flare. Over time, the tree comes to depend on these adventitious roots because they're at the correct level in the soil. The main support roots can die back and lose strength. The adventitious roots that the tree has produced are simply for transportation of water and nutrients. The structural integrity of the tree is lost when these main buttress roots uh, die back. And it's beautiful when you see the muscles of a
0: tree, when you see how it anchors itself in the ground. I keep telling people, go into the forest. If you show me one tree that nature wrapped trash wood around the base, I'll change my opinion completely. But when you're walking through the woods, I mean, sure, we look at beautiful bark, at exfoliating bark. We look at the beautiful fall colors. Um, but I can't help because I trip down a lot. I fall down a lot. I'm looking down at the ground. You know, you're not going to find any quarters in the forest, but you will see these roots. And sometimes I'll just step back and just admire the beauty and strength. And to me, it, it is like musculature when you see these, these roots. And you... I can almost imagine them going so deep into the earth and looking the same. And you can see them. It's like a tripod. They are balancing the tree. They are keeping it upright. They are. I just think that to me that's the most beautiful part of a tree in this trend of, of it's like putting fig leaves on all the statues in Italy. I mean, come on, you know you know, again, somebody gets born with one of those hanging down, let's talk. But otherwise, <laughs> you know, It makes no sense. So and uh, the part you may disagree with um, is I say, don't put any nice soil in the hole. Don't put in any peat moss or compost in the planting hole. Refill the hole with the same crappy soil you dug out because that's going to force the tree's roots to go into the same soil instead of staying in
3: this nice little island. I agree with you 100%. If you put that nice, rich soil into the planting hole, it's going to cause the roots to circle around so they stay in that nice soil to gain those nutrients where you want them to spread as far as possible into the native soil.
0: I use the example when I'm giving a talk on this. Your kid just graduated college. Do you put a 50-inch plasma TV into their bedroom? No. You change the. You send them out on a long errand. You change the color of the house. You put up different numbers. You trade in your cars very quickly. So there's different things in the driveway. You want that kid to get out into the cold, cruel world, and you want your tree's roots to be able to go out into the soil that you have. Aren't there cases where you dig up, uh, do um, do a, a, a a coroner's report on a dead tree. And the, the roots have actually strangled the tree from circling around?
3: There are. They're called girdling roots.
0: So um, so we're planting the tree high. We're using the same soil we dug out of the hole. And then
3: we can mulch. Do you guys always mulch or, or what? It depends on the landscape and the, the homeowner's request. But mulch is usually... Um, encouraged uh, within two to four inches because it helps to maintain soil moisture.
0: So you go out a couple of inches from the trunk. Yes. You make sure that that area is wide open, the area that is totally closed off in most plantings. And then I tell people the best mulch, especially for a new tree, is compost. Because every time it rains, the tree's roots are going to be drinking compost tea and getting nature's natural nutrients um, but there's almost no limit to how far out you can take that mulch, right?
3: The, the, further the idea the is to take it, don't have it close, but have it far. Exactly. The further the better. The mulch uh, helps to improve soil structure. If you could go out to the drip line with the mulch ring, then I would encourage you to do that. But and doesn't it look beautiful too? I mean, especially if you've got a tree planted in a lawn,
0: make a, a, an ornamental circle that goes out a far distance. Don't worry. You don't have to like, oh, we need the mulch so I don't hit it with the lawnmower. No, no, you know, all right. Uh, Joe Baer from the Bartlett Expert Tree Company, thanks for coming in and talking trees with us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. 1-833-727-9588. Robin, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, how are you? I am just so ducky. I'm, Robin, how are you?
2: I'm great. I'm great. And I have a question actually with the holidays coming up. Okay. Um, I have
0: a question I, for you. Sure. Where are you from? I'm from Bethlehem, PA. Okay. Very good. Where we are currently doing our show. What can we do for Robin in the Christmas City about the holidays? That's like a, a real thing.
2: It, it is. It definitely is a real thing. It's awesome. Um, I wanted to find out about poinsettias, which everybody's buying for the holidays, mm-hmm. and um, some people keep them outside, some people keep them inside, and i um, looking for some advice if it's going to be an inside plant, how to keep it alive during the holidays.
0: Absolutely. The poinsettia is a really famous plant, and it's kind of a backwards plant. I know we use it to celebrate the Christmas holidays, but it's actually a tropical plant from Southern Mexico. It was discovered back in the 1800s. Um, and I don't know if the ambassador himself discovered the plant or it was named in his honor, uh, but he was a gentleman named Set. And specimens of the plant were sent back to the United States and were shown for the first time publicly at the very first Philadelphia Flower Show, which I believe was somewhere around 1869 or something like that. Um, and then there's a, a remarkable story. I can't remember all the details, but there was a plant breeder, a guy who owned a giant nursery company who decided that you know, the, the version they were selling kind of as a house plant had Christmas significance with the red leaves in the center surrounded by the green leaves. So he started marketing it as a Christmas uh, plant, which really does not, and I'm so glad you asked before you put the poor thing inside, because not only should poinsettias not be left outdoors over the holidays, you should not even leave it in your car if you want to run an extra errand on the way home and you've got it with your supermarket groceries or something like that these Uh things are incredibly frost sensitive so you know when you when you buy the plant at a good place they put this plastic or paper wrapper around it and and tie it at the top or staple it that's important these things will they don't have any sense of humor about temperatures below 60 degrees So when you get it home, that's your indoor plant. That's for display indoors. Um, If you see one on somebody's doorstep and it's not dead, it's plastic. But
2: Ah, there
0: there is another plant um, that will start appearing in grocery stores and nurseries very soon, upscale groceries like uh, Whole Foods and Trader Joe's, that's where I see them the most. And these look like little Christmas trees, but they are rosemary plants. Um, What they do is out in California, they grow these giant rosemary plants, and then they uproot them, put them in a pot, and prune them into the shape of a Christmas tree. And it's really easy to tell which one's in the store, even without the tag. All you got to do is squeeze a little bit of one of the branches and the rosemary scent is tremendous these things generally they're like a a foot yeah a foot foot and a half tall and even if you're not going to use them as christmas decorations there's like a pound of rosemary on these things for like which
2: 15, is amazing for winter cooking of course exactly
0: yep. 15 20 bucks because you know if you go into this uh, the herb section of a supermarket what you get like a tenth of an ounce of rosemary for five dollars in one of those little clam shells?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When you buy this plant, it's still alive. The rosemary is very fresh and bendable. Um, I buy extras, and yeah, I, I make a huge rosemary chicken dish with one of the trees. But you can put rosemary is a Mediterranean plant, so it's somewhat frost tender, but it can be out. It can be outdoors all through the Christmas holidays. I mean, if it's gonna drop down to 10 or 20, you bring it inside for one day. But these plants look awesome outside. You can even decorate them with little lights or you know miniature ornaments, something like that. But they are great outside, and they're underutilized. Um, if you're in a tiny studio apartment, it makes a great Christmas tree. You put it on, on a countertop, put a little ornaments, a little ribbon on top, and you got real Christmas stuff going. There's one thing though you have to know about these plants is they are tremendously pot bound. When they, when they pull them out of the ground, I've actually had plants that look like one plant that were three plants jammed in together and pruned to the Christmas tree shape. And there was almost no soil left in the pot. It's all roots oh, wow. in there. So the trick, because a lot of people get these things as gifts (laughs) and within three or four days they're brown. You can't keep them watered because there's no soil in the pot. So the one thing I always tell people to do when they get a rosemary Christmas tree, take it out of the pot, get a pot that's twice that size, fill in the sides with compost or potting soil, and then once a week take it and just sit the pot in a couple of inches of water in a sink and let it sit there for an hour then put it up on the drain board. It'll absorb all the water it needs to survive the next week, and you won't make a mess, you won't drown it. And then, after Christmas, this plant is a perennial if you protect it from really freezing cold temperatures. So put it in a sunny windowsill, and then in spring, after all risk of frost, you can take this thing out to your garden and by the end of the season, it will grow into a rosemary shrub. These, plant, these plants, to me, are the most tremendous bargain you can get at Christmas time. And you see them more and more. This is, it's, it's not a new thing. It's been happening for, like, 20 years. They show up right after Thanksgiving, generally. And if you want to keep a poinsettia alive, you keep it indoors. Um, Water it exactly the same way, you know, just don't water it from above. It it almost never works with house plants. If you can take them to a sink, let them suck it up through their drain holes. That's the best thing you can do for them. And then in the summertime or even the spring, you can take the poinsettia outside again in like after May 15th or June 1st when we're not going to get any freezing nights. And the plant will grow into its real shape with which most Americans have never seen. It's been pruned and processed to to have that poinsettia shape that we recognize, but taken outside all summer long, it'll grow secondary branches all over and it'll start to revert to its normal form in Southern Mexico. And then if you want to get the PhD class, you bring it back inside on September 1st and you put it in a bright spot during the day and you put a cardboard box over it at night. After two months, the center leaves on all of the different branches now will turn red, like when you buy them in a garden center. But it needs 12 hours of darkness and 12 hours of light to mimic the tropical conditions of its origin, to grow those, people call them red flowers in the middle, but they're red leaves, they're called bracts. Wow, that's incredible, that's great yeah and you're in the Christmas city, so you should you should have this important uh, horticultural knowledge. I agree <laughs> all right
1: all right, thanks, you, Mike.
0: you gonna get a rosemary tray?
1: Um, I don't think so this year, but you gave me a lot of good pointers so. all right,
0: all right, well, even if you buy one and use it for cooking, like I said, that's a hundred dollars worth of rosemary for fifteen bucks exactly
1: right.
0: all right, good luck, Robin. one. Charlie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey Mike, how's it going? I am just ducky today, Charlie. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. And where is Charlie doing good? I'm calling from Rahway, New Jersey. Ah, the smokestack capital of the world, just outside of Manhattan. (laughs) I I just passed through Rahway the other day. I saw Bruce Springsteen on Broadway and I drove into central Manhattan.
4: Uh, I hope you went through quick.
0: Oh, man, Times Square. <laughs> you, you, it, it takes a while to get past that. All right, what can we do for Charlie from the, the pinnacle of New Jersey living?
4: Okay, I had a question. We just uh, built a deck on the house, a nice, beautiful deck, and uh, we had a stone patio, and we have some area underneath the deck where we could put plants. We don't get a lot of sunlight, so we're trying to figure out what would be the best uh, plants or shrubbery that we could put under the deck that will get no more than two hours of sunlight a day, maybe an hour in the morning and maybe an hour at night before the sun comes down. But that's about it.
0: So, uh, and and it does get that much sun?
4: It gets, at, at max, would be two hours
0: okay. a day. And, okay, so uh, you, this may not make any sense, but I want to see this spatially. So what room in your house does the deck come out of?
4: Uh, it comes off of the dining room.
0: Off of the high-level by- d- house. And how big a deck? Uh,
4: 20 by 16.
0: Okay. And then, um, let's say you're standing underneath the deck, which is yes. just dirt now, right? Uh, yes. Okay. Once you step beyond the dirt, where are you? Are you onto a grassy knoll or something?
4: No, we're in we have half of it is a, a, a dirt area where you could plant and half of it is a stone patio underneath the deck.
0: Oh, okay. So there's already a hardscaping. Yes. underneath a part of the deck. The um and the what what happens after the hardscaping is that is that the end of your property or something?
4: Um, well, it leads it leads out the back uh, back gate, yes, probably, to the driveway.
0: Okay, so there's no lawn or anything like that?
4: There is a lawn, beyond, okay, yeah, if I would go the other side, there's a lawn all the way around the back, yeah. Okay, and? And there's mulch flower beds on the outside, outside of the deck. It's just the space underneath the deck where we have the patio. It's a nice area of stone behind you, and we're like, what can we put back there?
0: When we talk about heavy shade, Um, most people would think that you can't do anything. But obviously that's not true. There are many places in the world where plants have had to evolve uh, to be in dense shade. Uh, They had no choice. The first thing that comes to mind um, is an alternative to lawns. How would you feel about a garden of moss? Moss. A moss is, well, if, if you've ever been to Japan or you've seen travelogues of Japan, there yeah. are many areas that are brilliantly green, uh, but they're not grass. They are special uh, species of moss um, that have been bred to do well or just selected to do well. Maybe they have some flowering color. There are a couple of mosses that will develop, not true flowers, um, but they'll, they'll be red-tinged at a certain uh, time of the season. There are mosses that are better at taking foot traffic than others. But all mosses have a couple of things in common. They want shade, they want moisture, and they want acidic soil. They want a soil that's acidic. Now, obviously, no offense in Rahway, your soil's acidic for two different reasons, <laughs> you know. But no, no acid rain gets down under there. So yeah. you, you might want to dust the area with peat moss or spread a little sulfur um, if you don't think it's acidic enough. I think it would probably be a good base. Um, and believe it or not, you can buy moss. Uh, there is a company in the Pocono region of Pennsylvania called Moss Acres, and there may be many other companies selling moss uh, around the country. And they essentially sell it like sod. They sell it in rolls. They grow it um, in in the dark woods up there, and then they ship it to people. Um, And moss is as good as a lawn, except for a couple of reasons. Um, One, you never have to feed it. Two, you never have to mow it, and three, it stays green all year long. Now, if you can live with that, it's a great plant. In other words, it's better than a lawn. And there is another way you can grow moss, which is cool. Um, last time I saw this, they were sending it out in half-gallon containers, like wax milk cartons. Okay. And what it was was dried moss. And you took it out, you poured it out of the, of the milk uh, half-gallon milk container, and you mixed it with water, and then you add a little beer or buttermilk uh, to give it like a living culture again, and then you spread it, as if you were spreading grass seed under your deck, and the moss will establish, and it will grow to fill in the area. It'll, It'll constantly spread, so you can either kind of sod the area completely with moss, or you can get the dried moss, if you have access, for instance, where I live in the woods, there is plenty, there's plenty of native mosses on fallen trees and stuff. I could even, especially in the spring, you know, it'd be a little hard to get it established at this time of year. But in the spring, if you have access to moss in the woods and you, you know, bring, bring strips of it, not too far, you shouldn't be taking moss out of woods that are like several counties away. Uh, but with me, it's in my backyard, and I can transplant that moss. But again, you have options to buy dried moss or moss in sheets. You could also do container plantings down there of plants that would otherwise be considered house plants, big leafed plants. Um, the bigger the leaf, typically, the less sun a plant requires. And these plants won't flower or anything like that. But think of a dramatic leaf structure of like house plants and things. But you would be limiting yourself to ones that are hardy. So you would, you would be searching catalogs and stuff for shade garden plants, and you would want the ones that have like the total eclipse of the sun on the little, uh, on the little marker next to them. But to me, it sounds like, it, I, I think that's a perfect area to show off moss, and if you go if you go looking online, you'll see there's probably a dozen cultivated species you can have that all have something different going for them. Yeah, so we never thought about the
4: plants and containers. Um, that would be good, but then but we have to move them in and out for the sunlight. Um, cause no, no. Because what we did no. is half what... the deck underneath. we We yeah. put white stones underneath mm-hmm. and left like a three or four foot um, a mulch bed. Mhm. So what we were thinking, of plant there. So see the the moss, we didn't think about that. That might make a nice uh, strip of green behind there. It
0: really looks beautiful. It requires no care whatsoever once it gets established, and people will constantly ask you, "What's that?" Especially again, if it's one of the mosses that turns red in the fall, something like that. I mean, you've got real four season interest, and it's green all year. Hmm. And That'd you don't have great. to you don't have to drag anything in or out. You don't have to move it. You know, and, and you can brag about it.
4: Hey, I got yeah. a moss lawn. Yeah, that would be great. I'll, I'll talk to the general about it.
0: I hear that. All right. <laughs> Ask <laughs> nicely. Lot, All right, Charlie. Take care, man.
4: Take
0: care. All right. As promised, it is time for the question of the week, which I am calling tree stump equals compost with no work. Arlene in Silver Spring. Yes, the same Arlene who supplied last week's question writes, Four winters ago, we cut down a tree that had about a 10 inch trunk, leaving a stump of about two and a half feet high. I took a plastic composter and dropped it over the stump and for four seasons filled the composter with chopped leaves and coffee grounds. Each year, I would remove the compost and fill it again. The stump did not appear to be rotting at all. Ah, until this fall, when I emptied the composter and the stump was gone. In its place was the softest black compost I've ever seen. I was able to scoop out about two feet of this, quote, tree compost. A nice experience and a bit of a surprise. Well, it certainly is a nice experience, but no surprise, Arlene, as those of us of a certain age realize all too well everything returns to the earth sooner or later. And it's going to happen a lot sooner if you drop a composter on top of it and fill it with shredded leaves and coffee grounds. In other words, this is a great way to deal with a tree stump. Now, let's review the basic rules of tree cutting down. When a tree is dead, fatally diseased or infested, baseball bat ugly or just in the way of everything else you want to do, you should proceed thoughtfully. And certainly not like me when I bought our house 30 years ago and didn't know it was unwise to use a 14-inch PlaySchool electric chainsaw to take down full-grown tulip poplars. I can still hear that could have been fatal crack when I was only halfway through the trunk of one and suddenly had to think, am I upwind or downwind? Anyway. If the tree is far away from foundations, water lines and the like, and you want to immediately plant something like a garden where it stood and you can afford it, you should have the stump pulled when the tree is removed. Whatever you do, and despite all that you will be assured, do not have the stump, quote, ground down. You will soon learn that there is a giant plug in the soil that prevents planting and lots and lots of mushrooms popping up from where the roots are very slowly decomposing. If you plan on using an adjacent area, and the tree was simply throwing too much shade, consider leaving a snag behind. That means delimbing and cutting the old tree down to six to ten feet tall. The shade from the remaining giant popsicle will be minimal, and the dead trunk will soon be home to all kinds of birds that eat your insect pests. Woodpeckers, of course. But after the woodpeckers make the primary nesting holes, thus not trying to do this in the side of your house, which is a real plus, those nests will be reused by chickadees, the number one bad insect-eating bird, owls, the primary predator of voracious voles, plus nut thatches, bluebirds, flycatchers, swallows, titmice, wrens, and warblers. Just make sure it won't fall on your house in 10 years, and don't plant anything flat-earth-style inside of the tree's drip line. That's an area approximately as wide as the furthest branches reached in life. Actually, it's a little further out than that, but the furthest branch rule pretty much covers where the really big roots are lurking. But hey, if you're taking a tree down, go the extra mile and build raised beds. You'll cut your weed woes by 90%. And as the legendary John Jevons famously explained, you'll grow twice as much in half the space. All right, back to Stumpy Town. If, like our repeat offender Arlene, you have a small stump, by all means, imitate her actions and make compost around it. It doesn't really matter whether you use a big wire cage or one of those nifty black plastic composters with a locking lid. Just fill it with shredded leaves and spent grounds from your local coffee shop, and you will achieve two ends. One, you will, over a period of time, get that stump to also become compost. And two, you will finally stop tripping over the dang thing, which is kind of funny when you're 19, but means you'll need a new knee at my age. One exception. If you're going to add kitchen waste to the mix, use the locking lid style only, unless you want to help your local mouse, rat, and raccoon population feed and flourish. And then there's my old tried-and-true answer to the short tree stump blues. Box off the area around the stump as if you were building a singular raised bed just out of nothing, but make the height at least a foot tall and preferably taller. Then fill that bed with annuals, flowers or food plants, and feed it a little more nitrogen than you would otherwise use. The rotting stump in the center of the bed is going to suck up some of the available nitrogen at the root zone as it slowly decomposes. So compensate for that but no chemical nitrogen and nothing over a 10 on the NPK label that is on every fertilizer. You'll get a nice harvest of food and flowers and you won't need a new knee. That's always a plus. Well, that sure was a good rundown on tree stumps and snags, now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the Question of the Week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the Question of the Week at our website, which is, and forever will be, You Bet Your Garden o r g gardens alive supports the you bet your garden question of the week and you will always find all of our questions of the week at the gardens alive website yikes my producer is threatening to sever my snag if i don't get out of this studio oh, we must be out of time but you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at You Bet Your Garden. Actually, it's YBYG, which stands for You Bet Your Garden, at WLVT. That's WillyLuluVermontTag.org. Yeah, anyway, go to the website, youbetyourgarden.org, and that'll tell you how to contact us. We like phone calls, we like emails, we like everything. You will find all that contact information, again, at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to many of your garden questions, more about this show, and our Peerless podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer and sometimes suspected producer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Syrup. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work and stay current with the show at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our website wonder is affable Anastasia Weckerley. Jazzy Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Kelly Leader of the Herd is our video editor. Our floor manager and official keeper of the Eye of Agamanto, a sacred duty, is John DeSensis. Tyler Mann is our cameraman. Our director is harassed and harried Javier Diaz. Not Javier, as I've been calling him. Javier. I have air. We all have air. You need air to blow up basketballs, to blow up footballs. Tremulous Tavia Minnick works our phones. Regal Ron Rouchet is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jaunty Jim McDonald. Affable Andy Cummins makes all the equipment work. Wait. Wait a minute, I already used Apple um, Accommodating, no. Accomplished, that's better. Afflictive, no. Aerated, no. Adventure, yes, adventurous Andy Thomas. Our sustainable CEO is Tim Fallon, who was in a meeting that he was late for, and he is not our executive producer. Let me make that clear. I'm your host, Stumpy Mike McGrath, and we will either see me, hear me, See and hear me, or once again be disappointed when you find my picture in a vintage pack of Mars Attacks bubblegum cards when you were hoping for the checklist next week.